I usually say that I didn't choose education, education chose me. It was a calling, it was a vocation that I responded to, you know, with an open heart and I responded with a happy heart as well. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment, it's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impact and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do Black educators matter? Okay, so my name is Professor Rock Larison. I teach in New Jersey. I teach ELA and social studies to both middle school students and college students, actually, during the evenings and weekends. Why does education matter or why do black educators matter? It's not, I know there's not necessarily a cookie-cutter answer for that because it's a multi-dimensional question that involves looking at many of the dimensions of the person themselves as an individual. So for me, it's important to have black educators because many students need to see a different face to ensure them that that there are many different kinds of intellectuals that exist. And so, you know, just being a black educator in the classroom already has an impact on many students based on their cultural background, based on their past experiences, etc. So that's just a brief way that I could approach it for now. So I know you said that you teach in New Jersey, but are you from New Jersey, Professor Rock? Yes, but not my family. My family is from Haiti, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. So we're Caribbean out here. <laughs> okay, okay. So do you identify as Haitian American? Yes. Okay. So what was it like for you going to school? So where were you from, like your K to 8 experience? What was that like? My experience growing up in school was very different than most because I grew up in kind of a dual language speaking household where my parents only spoke Creole, but then I went to an English speaking school and just being adjusted to both cultures and both languages and both worlds, you know, that was definitely something that I had to adapt to early on as a child. So my mom was always very on top of us. Uh, as far as literacy was concerned, as far as math was concerned. So, you know, this is to say also that my rigorous background in education stems from my parents. And it started very early on. So, Did you have any siblings? I do. My sister is a doctor. She's an eye doctor. My brother is actually a school counselor at a private school. You know, one brother, one sister. So your parents spoke Creole. But in school, you spoke English. But at home with your siblings, did you guys speak both? Yes, we did. Okay. (laughs) That was very interesting also. So what about your neighborhood? Did you identify when you were growing up? Did you recognize that you were like the children of immigrants? Or were you from a community of immigrants? Yeah, absolutely. We identified with our culture very quickly. You know, people weren't, you know, shy about pointing that out sometimes. Even people within the black community, actually, you know, and I'm speaking to kind of like my younger experiences growing up in school, 
So we were able to identify quickly because one, you know, there were certain expressions that existed in Creole that didn't exist in the English language. Two, you know, there was there were certain cultural things and it could be as simple as like the different food and music that we that we like to try. Because of those vast differences, we were able to see very quickly that we were different. Yeah. So how was it like going into high school? Because a lot of times when guests on the show speak about feeling different, it's a black and white thing. But it's very rarely where someone has spoken about what it's like to feel othered when the person looks like you or look like you could be related. Yes. What were the demographics of your school? Like, was it a largely black school and you were different? Or was it still like a diverse school and you had white students and students of various backgrounds, but you still were seen as different? The background of the students in my school growing up were vastly the same. It was 90% African-American students. I'd say around 80 to 85 African-American. And you'd have some Hispanic in there like a very small percentage of Asians and then no zero to to maybe one or two like white students. So I mentioned that because just piggybacking off of the last question that you asked too, because I see that they're connected. Growing up in a community where you think that you have equals as far as, you know, skin color, you I actually found out very early on that there is a such thing as interracial discrimination, you know, discrimination prejudice between people of almost the same cultural background, but because of differences in like the type of country that they came from, you know, they feel the need to like point that out to you in a way that's that's negative. And there's many stories I can share about that. Many stories that I am going to share about that in the book that I'm writing currently. So yeah, yeah that's just to explain that movie. I'm I'm excited to have this conversation with you regarding education and the role of black educators, especially understanding that you come from a Haitian family, because we as black people in this country owe a lot to Haiti. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> preach it, my people, preach it. You know, we owe a lot to Haiti, but our history books would not have told us that. Right. So, you know, I'm really curious to have this conversation. We as Black people in this country owe so much to Haiti, but the only reason that I know that we owe as much to Haiti is because, number one, I have a friend who's a Black educator who is a Spanish teacher, and she will ride for Haiti all day, every day, and she makes it her business to tell everybody the history so that we can pay homage to Haiti and say thank you to Haiti and everything. So you know what I'm saying? We, we we have a lot to learn and unlearn, which is why Black educators matter, so that all the stories are told and we can understand how we all got here. Because like you said, I've heard one of those like little quotes, all Black people really are connected. It's just we were a boat stop away. Right. Like where we ended up on this land is just basically a boat stop away, but we all come from the same place. So, Amen. Go ahead. speaking about coming from the same place and the connectedness, talk to us about your college experience. So, we know, like, elementary school, growing up, you recognize the differences between you and your peers, even though you look similar, but it was very clear that there were some differences. What was your college experience like, and how did that lead you to the classroom, without revealing too much of what's going to be in your book? <laughs> yeah. 
yes, I, I, I kept that in mind. <laughs> I, I could share. So back in college, when I started out, I actually started out at a community college. From there, I moved on to a four-year school for two years and finished my bachelor's. So just to explain a little bit of what, of what went on during those four years before I get into grad school, first thing I have to mention, you know, in that experience is that college wasn't just only an educational experience for me, it was also a spiritual one. You know, I was a part of many different Christian organizations and groups that helped me to, to build myself and my spiritual manhood. And so I mentioned that because I remember one class specifically back in the community college where, you know, it was a high level English course. Long story short, we were studying the Hebrew version of the Bible, right? The creation story. And I just remember this, this professor really tackling the subject of the Hebrew scriptures in a way that was very atheistic. And in that way, he challenged us. And, you know, these were, these were, these were types of comments and questions that I haven't heard before. And so I studied really hard in that class so that I could have the spiritual ammunition to kind of defend my faith, right? It was like a spiritual affair at that point for me. And it, it went far beyond just, you know, trying to pass the class. You know, fast forwarding from there, when I went into the four-year school, that same appetite and hunger that I had for moving deeper into my faith and my knowledge of English literature carried over into that school. And so I had many other experiences like that that challenged me to grow in my knowledge of literature, biblical literature, and moving even beyond, you know, to Caribbean literature, to all different types of literature that existed. So that's where I found my place in education in those challenges. Oftentimes when people ask me this question, I usually say that I didn't choose education, education chose me. It was a calling, it was a vocation that I responded to, you know, with an open heart and I responded with a happy heart as well because, you know, there are many different experiences during college that, that helped me to say my place professionally is in the classroom. Um, you know, even going outside of the classroom, you know, in college, the experiences that I had were doing a few things with the Christian organizations. That also led me to, to see my place in the classroom as well. I worked with middle schoolers in Sunday school. I worked with high schoolers in an independent organization that I led called Voice Christian Fellowship. It was just the more experience that I've gotten working with young people, the more the call to education became more creative. What a brilliant experience to be able to partner your faith and your love for your faith and understanding your faith and understanding the literature behind the faith and then bringing that into real life to do something with that love of literature. In college, I also took a Bible as literature class and I loved it. And I said like, I could not tell if my professor was Christian or not. And that made me appreciate the class even more because it was really presented as literature. And you can really read and appreciate the beauty that is the Bible because a lot of times people don't necessarily read it as literature. We go in, we go get what we came for and then we leave. But it's like, if you take the time to kind of like unpack it and read, you can see the art form and the poetry and all the stories. And you get to take that love into the classroom. 
and get to share that same love of literature with some of your students. So what did were you an education major declared? Did you leave college and go straight into the classroom after all of your like religious classroom work with the students? Yes. So after I finished at the four year school, I moved on to a graduate program where I studied special education. So, you know, so eventually I did move into education. Prior to that, it was English literature and creative writing. And then for the associates, it was liberal arts with the English concentration course. So, you know, this is to say that like my life was literally literature for a couple of years. So <laughs> uh, I, I enjoyed it. Once you finished and you had your master's degree, you studied special education and you entered the classroom. Did you find a shared sense of identity and connectedness between you and your students? Or did you still feel some of that otherness? that you felt when you were a student? No, definitely. The connection was real when I, especially when I got into middle school education, because that's where I saw, that's where I saw the need for black educators. And I remember this one student, and I'll, ne I'll never forget this kid, Fedrick. Wow. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's almost like I could, I'm living it again. But I just remember my first day stepping into you know, the classroom with him, he had no idea who I was. I had no idea who he was, but he was one thing that we did know was that I was a black teacher. He was a young black male in a classroom or in the school full of populated, excuse me, a school that was populated with uh, Hispanic speaking students. And so I mentioned that because his greeting to me, the day that I met him was just like, wow, like Mr. Rock, like that's your name? Like, tell me more, you know, it was like, it was like he just wanted to pull every single story out of me, you know, everything that he could possibly know about this black educator that was standing in front of him, he wanted to, he wanted to dig deeper because it was like, it was foreign to him. And this was something that he communicated to me. And I, I definitely made it my business to be as transparent professionally as I could, as far as, you know, my studies, what I was passionate about in terms of literature uh, with him, et cetera, you know, and that led me to making not only a great connection with him, but many other students like Fedrick, even, even if they, they weren't black, you know, yeah, that was, this is to say that there's definitely that great sense of connection as soon as I stepped into the classroom. Were you one of the first black educators that he had had? Or one of the first black male educators uh, that he Fred, had had? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, specifically for Frederick, he's had black educators before. I'm not sure if he had a black male educator who taught English language arts. And that was different for him, you know, like he probably had like, you know, not to diminish any other subjects either, but like, you know, he probably had like, let's say physical education instructors, you know, music instructors that were black male educators, but not one who was teaching English language arts. And, you know, I discovered really that that spoke volumes, right? Because for full transparency, I'm just going to say like in our community, sometimes they are not shy about having us be known as like, as just entertainers or just athletics, right? It's almost like we have to fight to have this intellectual voice which is why the movement that's occurring now is so important. But, you know, 
that's the subject for another time. You know what I'm saying? If I'm called back to the podcast, I'll talk about that. But to 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 Fedrick, this black male presence that was standing in front of him gave him an eye for a lot of the potential that he hasn't seen before in education. I love the way that you said that. So spoken, it's like you write. It's like you speak in cursive. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I was going to ask you, like, what you has been... some good questions, too, so... <laughs> Thank you. I was going to ask, like, what has been the most impactful moment you've had as an educator? But that story that you shared with Frederick is so meaningful for so many levels because I... Even the few questions I was able to ask you, those few follow-up questions, still did not give a full understanding of like what that interaction meant and what it meant for him to have you as a an ELA instructor. So I actually want to jump into that question still, although yes. in a sense I kind of answered it. With the story of Doug Fedrick, I almost said Fedrick Douglas. His name is Fedrick. <laughs> Hold on now. I'm, I'm getting pro-black here. I Come on, because you know that's what's coming. You know that's what's coming. Yes. <laughs> so to channel into that question even more, this word impact has always been kind of a beacon word for me, like a glowing word for me while I teach my students. This is to say that that question that you ask is very important because to me, when people ask about the most impactful experience that I've had, this is always a very difficult question for me, actually. Probably one of the most difficult questions that anybody can ask because impact to me is not a one-time thing or what, where has it happened the most. Impact is residual, right? To a point where like it's an ongoing cycle that continues every time you step into the classroom every day and beyond that. And when somebody asks this question too, usually the first thing I think about is not just how have I impacted the students, right? It's usually the other way around. How have they impacted me so I can double back on the impact for the students to come after them. Uh, impact is definitely residual. And the most impactful moments for me in education literally is every day in the high and lows, you know, in the days where we're tired or when we're coming back from a long day of work and we still have to lesson plan, that those are impactful moments to me. It's a collective thing. Now you preaching. <laughs> This is just one of many stories, and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at blackeducators.matter. Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org. Help build the movement by joining our Patreon. Now, let's get back to our Project 500 podcast. We just passing the preach baton. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We talking about impact. So let's get into some impact. What is the state of education in Black America and how did we get here? Speaking about residual, how are we here again in 2020 in this moment? So we're recording this. What What is this? July? It's still July when we are recording this. So at this moment, schools have oh i think the cdc is supposed to be releasing 
updated guidelines for school reopenings in the fall. What is happening where you are in terms of school reopenings? This is this is a new time for us across the board, but I'd say especially in our urban education community because there were already things in progress to be changed. And now that we have to look at this whole new element of remote learning that we have to add in, that, that's a game changer for a lot of people. Classroom management, for example, that's one whole area that has to be studied and revamped at a totally new level because it's remote, right? For some people, classroom management is like the hardest thing to, to ace. And so taking that mentality into remote learning, there has to be more of a unified collective way of making classroom management possible and functioning. You know, that's just one microscopic way to talk about the many macroscopic things that we have to look at as, as far as the new changes that we're about to endure. Where are we in education right now? We're in a place of change. But uh, to that extent, that's really nothing new, right? Because education is always an ever-changing field. So the only difference now is that we were kind of catapulted into a new mode of how we use our expertise. That's the challenge. And it's a good challenge too, because if we if we happen to go back into the classroom soon, think of all the new different scaffolded and differentiated tactics and strategies that teachers could come in with. All different sorts of hybrid courses can be created because this remote learning is happening. You know, five-star teachers or teachers who are rated like top four have to totally revamp how they do things because they may have to update old practices that they've had, which is something that teachers should be doing anyway, if I'm going to be totally transparent. So that's where we are in our education system right now. We're in a place of change and we're in a place of blooming, right? Because things, things are just growing. That's such an incredibly encouraging and optimistic outlook. And I love the way, see, I told you it's that, it's that curse of talk. I love the way that you said, <laughs> like, it's, it's going to force, and I don't know if you said force, but it's really going to push and challenge educators to move into new levels of expertise and demonstrating that. And I think that it's, if we're talking about Black educators, Black people are inherently creative, incredibly creative. So now when you when you talk about that inherent creativity with the superpower that teachers are, you put that together in the middle of a crisis, that is really when superpowers show up. Like that's when superheroes really show up. It's like it's not when things are going well. It's when there is a need for a hero and teachers are heroes. And the way that you just described it, 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 it was incredibly optimistic. So usually the question that I ask is, are schools designed for children of color? But I want to stay optimistic. So I will ask you, as we are in the midst of this change in this blooming season, what are some ways? And you you laid them out, Mr. Special Education Teacher. I heard you talking about SCAF. I heard it, okay? <laughs> what in differentiated approaches. What are some ways that schools can start to be designed 
or learning experiences because it may not be the building. You talk about classroom management going virtual. What are some ways that learning experiences can start to become more affirming for black students? Before I get into my answer, I'm going to definitely give some glow and some praise to Principal Pavon and Principal Frazier because I know that they led a live uh, session recently where they spoke about that uh, specifically. So shine on them. I'm doing my shine fingers. <laughs> what do they call that? Yeah, well, fingers. Um, yeah, yeah, fingers. There you go. <laughs> yeah, to answer that question, because we're doing things totally different now, we have to have a new vision for how we approach things to the liking of the kids to some degree and things that'll literally attach to their attention. We have to dive into things that are not racially, culturally pleasing, but things at the level of our technological culture. What is it that we have at our fingertips that make learning fun? YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of these other platforms that people use to be entertained. Now we have to make education fall into that realm almost of not like entertainment 100%, right? Because, you know, we have to like be stern in our approach and our practices, but we can use these things as attention grabbers so that students can see that what it is that they're learning is culturally relevant to them at the level of technology and how they learn. The scaffolds and differentiated tactics should be designed around those things. Do a scavenger hunt on Pinterest. Do your presentations on YouTube grade based on certain criteria now that students use to break down information and make their presentation interesting on YouTube, right? How will they use their TikTok to respond, you know, to certain questions? How am I going to use Google Teams or Zoom to create opportunities for station learning and for students to lead in that? There are many different directions and angles that we can go in as far as that. So um, that's where I would start. I love those ideas. What do we have at our fingertips? Because that gives us the power. It's like, what can because it can seem so overwhelming. Like, oh my God, think of new, what do we have at our fingertips? And I love learning on YouTube, as do many people. One of my favorite educational channels is Crash Course and Home Team History. When I was talking about Shall Now Haiti earlier, those are two resources specifically that are trusted and verified that it's like, oh, look at this, history lessons. Wow, never knew that story. Never learned about that. And it's right there. And it's accessible. So I, I fully agree with you. How have you grown since you began your careers? And how long have you been teaching? For about, ooh. Given my age now, seven years, seven years now, yeah. Okay, come on, seven, number of completion. How have you grown over these seven years? Wow, that's a very impactful question, actually, because I do remember back when I was a novice teacher starting out, and this is before I went into my master's program for education. I remember being strong at lecturing because I started out immediately into teaching at the community college, actually, that I was a student in. And I remember going in saying, you know, these are going to be like the best lectures that they ever heard, and I'm going to come in passionate, and this is like going to be like 
Martin Luther King number two type, Malcolm X two type thing. You know, like I stepped in there with that mentality, which was great. You know, it gave me a great gumption for pursuing what I was teaching in a in a, a way that was unique to me. But after majoring in education and after getting more field experience and more years of experience with younger kids and 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 being able to bounce back between teaching in middle school during the day and teaching college at night, one of the ways that I have grown immensely is by making things more student-centered. One thing that I enjoyed as a novice teacher was how passionate I was about lecturing. But one thing that was missing also when I was a novice teacher sometimes was more of an opportunity to let students take things, take the education with their own hands and grapple with it, right? And that's where education and learning really happens. Any kind of lecturing should always be the bait to how they're going to grapple with the information later on in the classroom and in the in, in their homework activities, et cetera. So I've, I've definitely seen immense change as far as that. So to take you back to your classroom experience, number one, did you have black educators growing up? And number two, did you ever have any Haitian educators or any educators who spoke Creole growing up? That's a good question. Yes, I've had black educators. I could count on my hands, though, how many of those black educators were men, right? And, you know, it, it wasn't a lot. I'd say going from elementary school to high school, I probably had about four black male educators total. None of them were Haitian, not even the female ones. If anything, the only Caribbean Haitian educators that I know about were either substitutes or my mom, because <laughs> uh, she was my first teacher. You know, after that, no. And I love this question too, because going into education, I knew the type of presence that I had to come in with, right? I knew that I would probably be the only one of my type stepping into the classroom, not just as a black male educator, but as a, as a, a Haitian professor teaching English. I remember one of my college students pointed it out to me. He was just like, wait a minute. So you're like Haitian and you teach English and you grew up here. Like he put it, he put in those words and I'm just like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but it wasn't until he put into those words. I'm just like, wow, you know, like, you know, to me, for, for me doing something every day, I didn't really break it down into pieces like that. And because I was able to see it now in different pieces, I was also able to see how unique it was. Students have sometimes like a very special way of showing you how special you are. That's that cursive talk again. <laughs> so you named some of them, including your mom. But are there any Black educators that went out of their way to aid in your success? So as you think about your student experience, high school, college, and now you as an educator thinking about your peers, mentors, any other Black educators that you would like to thank? Wow. Yes. Yes, man. Going back to that Going back to those memories, it's almost like, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to ball up here, but uh, I remember my sixth grade teacher, Miss K. She has definitely, outside of my mom, of course.
was she has definitely made a major impact on me. She was by far one of the most impactful ELA teachers that I had back in middle school. And I still remember her until this day. And she, I, the best way I could explain this case like this, I always liked writing. I didn't become passionate about writing until I met her. She made me fall in love with words. I didn't know I had a thing for words or for stories or for things like this until meeting her. So it's Kay Smith, it's Catherine Smith. Hopefully she's, she's hearing this. Thank you. <laughs> and outside of her too, yeah, just going even further, my whole middle school experience especially, I went to a school, and thank God that my mom sent me to the school, where the cultural collective of teachers there were passionate about teaching African-American studies. Thank goodness. I say thank goodness because I interact with some of my, my, my black male equals, intellectuals, and the type of discussions that we have is like certain subjects would come up and there would be things missing in their understanding of their own history. And, and, you know, some of them are not even totally aware of the racial biases that exist that can bring them down. And to me, that's very scary. But I say thank God for the school that I went to because they were not shy about bringing that to the forefront and raising us to know that we come from a proud race. I feel like a lot of times, for example, just to dive into that a little bit more, I feel like a lot of times when African-American history is taught, people go straight to slavery, people go you know, straight to kind of teaching people about like how sad our story is, when really the story of the African-American history is more of a story of power. The best way to explain slavery is to say when, when people were stolen from Africa, they didn't steal slaves. They stole doctors. They stole engineers. They stole scientists, different types of intellectuals, different types of uh, psychologists, different types of priests, spiritualists, transcendentalists, and turned them into slaves. That is our story. The continuing story, really, in Black history is how we're getting back to that currently and the different systems that exist, right, to try to stop us from doing that. That middle school that I went to definitely put the fire there to help us understand that. And Miss K was one of those fires that, that ignited that. So her, I could think of many different other people. Principal Kafele, I guess now a very famous author and speaker, and he's just like killing it right now. He's still, to this day, one of my biggest motivations. So Principal Kafele, Miss Stoddard, you know, uh, my mom. I'm always going to mention my mom because she she's number one, you know, her and my dad. So Well, I'm thankful for all of those educators for putting the fire in you because you, I mean, your light shines bright. And I'm thankful that you came and you shared your story and you talked us, talked to us and walked us through your experiences so that we can see it through your eyes. And again, super thankful to Miss Smith. Was that your sixth grade teacher? I am thankful to her because since I was able to receive some of her superpower through you, now I want to become a cursive talker. 
I'm going to work on it. <laughs> so thank you so much, Professor Rock. And where can people follow you up with you? <laughs> where can people follow up with you and learn more about the book that you're writing? So um, just follow me on Instagram, Professor Rock Larison, or you can put Professor Rock One. Uh, it's my username, and they'll be able to find me there. I also have uh, a website coming out. A lot of my resources will be available as far as speaking engagements, as far as the different platforms where I'm doing some of my smaller writings, even some of my tutoring services, some of my marketing services. All of those things are going to be on there. That's where people can reach out to me, and I'll I'll be sharing that information all on Instagram and on Facebook. Thank you, Professor Rock, for coming on the show. Thank you for everything that you have done to just share your light with the world and with all of your students. And for everything that you've done, it was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate this. If you ever need me, you know, you know where to find me. I'm definitely a big fan of this platform. So don't be hesitant to reach out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Educators Matter. Are you ready to share your story? Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org to sign up. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a black teacher today.